0: Oh yeah. You know, when Alanis Morissette sang those words in nineteen ninety-five, we all could envision those nails and that anger and and no doubt those nails were painted, well, obviously red, right? But not just any red. I always envisioned OPIs, I'm not really a waitress red. Yes, that's a real color for those of you who don't know, is the best name ever, right? Was it the most creative and memorable name in the history of nail polish colors, or was it the vicious sparkle in that? It was sort of a dark cherry red that really turned what began as a dental product supplier into a billion-dollar nail polish company. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. The woman who came up with that uber creative name, I'm not really a waitress nail polish, and has turned it into this massive company called OPI. Susie Weiss-Fishman is co-founder, brand ambassador, and creative visionary behind OPI products, a nail conglomerate. I mean, it's massive now. Susie, welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you. Oh, we're so happy, obviously, because everybody who is working in this building at Fox Business and and Fox News wears OPI nail polish. Uh, But you're known as the first lady of nails. But we found your story so fascinating because here at Everyone Talks to Liz, our podcast, which is kicking tuchus and taking (laughs) names, lots of people have come on. And what we focus on here is the climb. The climb that sometimes entails major pitfalls, huge mountains, really tough moments, and great success. And people, we want them to leave listening to this podcast thinking, why not me? Why can't I do that? If she could do it, if she could overcome everything she's done, then why not me? And what, what a company you've created. I want to begin at the beginning of the company. Because OPI, for those of you who don't know, wait till you hear what it actually stands for. Susie, you get to tell.
1: (laughs) So when I start, I want to start it, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that I say in my book, and I want to encourage all listeners that whatever your dream is, whatever your passion is, you can do it. So now, how do we... um, how did it start? Well, we started as a dental supply company. Okay, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> I want you to explain what that stands for and how this all began.
1: And OPI started with Odentorium Products Incorporated. And Odonto in Latin has to do with the mouth, believe it or not. <laughs> and we saw in the early 80s um, uh, nail salons in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley on Ventura Boulevard, which is the main street, uh, A nail salon at every corner doing artificial nail extensions called acrylics. And the other thing we realized that it's very similar chemistry to making dentures. And my brother-in-law, George Schaefer, my uh, uh, partner, said, oh, I really like to work much more with women than with dentists. They're so boring. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. we met a young chemist who was actually working in the movie industry, making special effects, And he was a polymer chemist, and he came up with a formula that was specially catered for nails, doing these artificial nail extensions. And it was three products, the primer, the liquid, and the powder that you mix to form the nail. And we called it the rubber band special. Because we had no marketing, we put three bottles, I tied it with the rubber band, went up and down Ventura Boulevard, dropped it off at salons, and I said, please try it, and I'll be back. And when I came back in two weeks, there was only one question the nail technician asked, where can we purchase it?
0: Wait, so this this dental
1: adhesive became so popular just from you giving free samples? Absolutely, because they realized that the product gave them enough time to form the nail. The powder was extremely fine, so they didn't have too much filing to do. And if you think about it, for a nail technician, time is money. So the faster she can perform a service... And see the next client, her next uh, uh, appointment, the better it is. What year was this? This was in 1982, 83. Oh, my. I you know, long time long ago. Long time
0: ago. But even longer ago is a more fascinating and almost painful beginning. When you go back to your childhood, we all hear the accent. That's a Hungarian accent. Talk about your childhood, what it was like in a communist country, and how you got to America, because it was not a straight line.
1: Not at all. As you mentioned, I was born in Hungary. I grew up, and I was 10 years old when we left. Uh, Very very warm, loving parents, survivors of the Holocaust, uh, but a scary upbringing. I'm Jewish. We were never able to practice our religion freely. I remember at holidays, my mom always closing the shutters and the rabbi would come secretly to teach us uh, prayers. What would have happened if you were outed? I mean, once uh, in school, kids asked me if it's true that I was Jewish, because if I said yes, I think I was going to be beaten up after school, and I just said no, no, and I kind of ran away. So it was scary. Um, my dad; uh, they wanted him to join the Communist Party, which my dad was did not want to do. So many times the secret police would take him at nights, and then once, I, as I mention in the book, um, they came for my mom, and that's when my dad said, "We need to leave." And we had some connections, and we actually got our passports, and we emigrated legally in 1966 to Israel. and But my dad's dream was to come to the United States. It was his dream. And we applied for our green cards through the American Embassy. And three years later, we got our green cards and we emigrated to the United States. And actually, I we landed in New York.
0: Landed in New York, which is an interesting point here because
1: one of your first colors was named? Coney Island Cotton Candy. <laughs> And big apple red. I mean, I remember when I was, I came here and we would go to Coney Island and get the cotton candy. <laughs> so, those memories uh, when we were naming shades uh, were so important that I wanted to name a color after that. So, you go from strict Soviet, uh, you
0: know, knuckles getting wrapped if you didn't write things properly, sitting up straight, the Soviet system to Israel. You didn't speak that language, I mm-hmm. would imagine. No. Did you end up learning it?
1: I learned Hebrew, yes. And, uh, you know, it was the first taste of freedom for me. Uh, Israel, I remember going to a supermarket and all the choices was like not just one coffee, but you can have five choices of coffee and all the fruit. It was like, wow. And then coming to the United States and the opportunities, and there are more choices. It's not five, now it's ten coffees. (laughs) (laughs) That can drive some of us crazy, actually. But... uh, that
0: brings us to all the choices that you had to make. When you started to decide what to do with your profession and your brother-in-law had this opportunity, you came up with this idea. But how did that go from a couple of bottles and the the rubber band special to how many colors
1: today? Oh, thousand. I mean, I've created probably a couple of thousand shades, Since 1989, when we first launched OPI Nail Lacquer. I mean, it was a a journey, but I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And I like to guide my own uh, uh, destiny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that was because I have freedom. And when you guide your own destiny, you have freedom to make your own choices. Hard work is a must. And when I speak to young kids today, the first thing I tell them you need to work hard, have the passion, care, you know, if you see a vision, go with your vision, go with your gut feeling, make decisions. It's so important. And I had a vision. I worked hard like seven days a week. I mean, it was crazy filling bottles, putting labels on, but it didn't matter. Wait, you put the labels on in the early (laughs) days by yourself? (laughs) I can still do it very fast.
0: Where (laughs) did you buy the bottles? See, see, I think about um, companies like OPI. And my mind starts thinking, wait, you have the chemistry, you've got to figure out the pigment and and all the elements within it, and then you've gotta purchase the bottles and then you've gotta stamp them and, and, and then I would give up. You did not.
1: Never give Talk up. Talk
0: about the earliest days where things got tough.
1: I mean when you're alone at night in the you know, in a small office and it's like eleven o'clock and you're exhausted and you're you know, you're trying to make your list for the next day of what you need to accomplish and the purchase orders that need to be placed. And I was so silly, maybe stupid. I gave the same purchase order number to every purchase order that I placed that day. <laughs> so then we had to track. It was like every order had the same purchase order number. Okay. I didn't know better. And uh, <laughs> you live and learn. Exactly. So, you know, those things, but night after night, just sitting there and You know, and always planning the next day of what to do. And then I hired one or two people to help. My first uh, employee was a high school student who I drove home every night. (laughs) Because if you live in L.A., there's no public transportation, I have to say. So I didn't want him to wait for the bus. And I dropped him at home every night.
0: And what did he do for the company?
1: He was filling next to me bottles. And uh, sometimes his girlfriend would call. I said, no phone calls. Did I not tell you no phone calls? (laughs) How much did you pay an employee back then? Probably five dollars an hour. Wow! And (laughs) you were not taking a salary in the beginning for two years. No salary. It's very important that if you're starting an entrepreneurial business, you must have some backup money because you will not. If you're not profitable after two years, then you need to rethink things. But it's very hard. You don't take money out the first year or two even. Well. That leads me to ask, how did you then live? I mean, how did you, did you lean on
0: your family? And a lot of entrepreneurs would love to go all in and, and they understand they don't take a penny initially,
1: but you've got to eat. I live with my sister and brother-in-law, we live together and uh, my sister had a, and they had a little boy, my nephew and we just ate dinners together, and I took my lunch every day. It was not like buying lunch. You didn't spend money on yourself? No. I, you know, people ask me, I said, I haven't had a facial in like 25 years. I mean, <laughs> I made choices, but they were my choices, and it was okay. Those were the choices I made. And, um, you know, people ask me, what would you do differently? Not much, really. I mean, I'm very happy, and I'm so grateful. You know, I lived the American dream. And so grateful for all I, what I have and the way I did it. And the most important is how many people I took on this amazing OPI ride. Oh, yes. But when you say
0: I lived the American dream, I sometimes say to people, oh, he, let's amend that and say you fought for the American dream because the American dream is not sitting there waiting, waiting for you to grab it. You have to reach and scratch and fight for it. And it says, I'm here. It's just, I'm only here for people who reach high enough and fight to climb. And that's sort of what we talk about here, that there were moments, I'm sure, where you thought we're going bankrupt or there have been tough business times in the landscape of who knows, you know, with the recessions. Talk about some of those difficult times.
1: There are many zigzags, and zags, as I say, in the, on the road. And, uh, you know, sometimes at night you say, oh, my God, how am I going to do it tomorrow? Whether it's a financial difficulty, whether you just sheer exhaustion, whether you, you know, it's family and kids and the business. You have two families. You have your business family and your home family and how to kind of make everything work and uh a husband and the kids and homework and school projects. And, you know, when your kids tell you at nine o'clock at night, oh, I need to buy a poster board and I need to have (laughs) this project done. And I'm like, what? The store is closing in five minutes and you're begging as the door shuts in front of you to please let me in. I know exactly what I want to buy. But uh, somehow, you know, again, passion, perseverance and hard work and this this drive. I had a tremendous drive and I'm an extremely positive person. I wake up every day and I'm positive. And what I recommend most of all is to have a sense of humor because mostly I love to make fun of myself. But when I run out of my own, then I make fun of other people <laughs> like my husband, my kids, everybody is part of my um, my skit. So have a sense of humor. And yes, you're right, the opportunities here. I always tell my kids I can open doors for you, but you have to walk through them. And doors were opened for me, but I had to walk through those doors. Nobody else did. Nobody handed me anything. And that's okay. I never expected anything to be handed to me. And that's something that I wanna instill in, you know, for me to if I can and the reason I wrote the book and the reason I'm here is to inspire young people because, you know, I'm 63. I've, I've done it. I've, I have it. If I can inspire one person to do something great, whether it's in business, whether it's in giving back, whether anything they want to do, then I think I've done good.
0: Millions and millions of dollars later, let's talk about naming the colors. And And folks, and I know we have a lot of men listening to this podcast. My brother-in-law, Bill Scheinberg, always listens. And he always says to me, Liz, I think this is so interesting and this and that. I don't want you to tune out, all you guys out there, because it goes for naming car colors, naming anything. The genesis of deciding and coming up with a name, how long does that take you? And you, as I understand it,
1: have come up with every single name. So I've come up with every single color, but actually there was a committee at OPI, and there's about 5 6 of us we always invite a guest and we sit for about 8 hours and you uh, collections are geographically inspir- inspired so we always travel the world we take women traveling all over the world with us um every city country uh in the past 25 years so and then we play on words um From that city, from the country, a lot of names are named after food because two things that we love at OPI is to eat and travel in that order. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We love to eat, of course. I'm thinking of Berlin there done that. Yes. (laughs) I mean, there are, you know, there's always a Susie name, Susie and the lifeguard. I remember when my daughter said, But mom, you're married to Daddy. I said, But well, there was a life before Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: was a lifeguard before Daddy. Ah, interesting. <laughs> Talk about the genesis of I'm not really a waitress. This sparkly, bright red, number one selling nail polish.
1: I'm not really a waitress came from the Hollywood collection because everybody in Hollywood says I'm not really a waitress. I'm an actress. Exactly. Right. But, so it was it's so apropos to um to that city. And it has really become a household name, but it's, and I name my book because it really tells women that you can be anything you want to be. You can be a waitress, you can be an actress, you can be an editor, you can be a news anchor, you can be anybody that you can be. So I remember when I uh, introduced the colors to the beauty editors here in New York, uh Uh, They said, can you do a color? I'm not really an editor. (laughs) So you can really be anybody you want to be. I love that.
0: Which one surprised you the most? Which naming of a color fell flat, for example? Is there one that just didn't sell and it was maybe the name versus the actual color?
1: It was, a oh my God, I remember I was, uh, just had my son, my second child, and we named the color. Fakakta, Fakakta. <laughs> okay, that's Yiddish. We, yes. We <laughs> lost our mind. Uh, that was probably the end of the day and we lost our mind and that was not a good name. <laughs> that's Yiddish for,
0: <laughs> well, we can't really say it on the podcast, but Fakakta <laughs> means you're all messed up. and
1: Exactly.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. Um, you know, when you just mentioned about growing up and then you're incredibly colorful in many ways life today of wealth and success and creature comforts. You know, I want to go back to your mother as a Holocaust survivor, your parents. Did they ever talk about it? Did that affect the way you fight for everything you do today?
1: Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I had two loving parents. I was very lucky because I'm a generation, first generation of survivors. And sometimes, you know, there were hardships of showing love and uh, but my parents really were amazing loving parents my mom always had a smile with all that she went through I always said she's my hero and my dad Um, and yes because I want to make a difference in the world and you know if I'm successful I can help others and that's very important to me I mean success yes for my family my It gave a better life for my parents, my children have choices of freedom of schools that they attend to be jewish uh they're both college graduates and uh successful, but I can help other people by me being successful and um I think that drive of of having the freedom to be able to to be who i who I am and who I wanted to be. Was uh, was so important because of the way I was brought up and because of what my parents went through.
0: They had gone through horrible things, and for them to have optimism—that's not an—that's not an easy prospect. That's not an easy thing to grab. Um, where had your mother been in the Holocaust?
1: My mom was in Auschwitz, and um, she was Hungarian Jews were taken late in the war. And actually, my mom was on the train, and then she had two younger brothers, and her mom went left, and my mom went right. She was strong. She was able to work, so she survived. And so your grandmother was killed immediately getting off the train and her two younger brothers and um, in the gas chambers in the gas chambers
0: when you see something like Charlottesville, which happened a couple of years ago now, um but is still stuck very much in my mind. To see the swastikas on a flag out in broad nightlight, daylight, holding torches and saying those horrible things about Jews, that stunned me because for so many decades, those people were hiding. They knew they couldn't come out, and suddenly they feel free to come out today. How did that strike your heart when you saw the swastika flags?
1: A heavy heart, and I think that's why it's so important for us to tell history to young people, so that it never repeats. I, I, you know, I believe, in, and and my children, it was my duty to tell my my mom and dad's story, and it is my children's duty to tell their grandparents' story, yes. and uh, and for for to, for others to to learn from history, because sadly. History many times repeats, and unless we know history and we learn it, then we will not allow it to ever repeat.
0: We feel that way here in New York uh, about nine eleven, about September 11th. I was just on Sunday with uh, all the firefighters who raise money for charity, after three hundred and forty three firefighters were incinerated in the World Trade Center collapses and it was it was such a disaster, but eighteen years later, you don't want people to forget and Holocaust survivors there are very few of them now
1: very few left and just to get back to nine eleven I think that is why it's so important that everyone's name is read every single year, and that we all hear. And when young people say, why are they saying that name? Then somebody needs to tell them what happened. And as far as you're absolutely right, very few Holocaust survivors are left in the world. And that's why it's so important for me, my children, my husband, and my family to tell our our mom and dad's uh, story and all other stories. You know, I was... um, I I made a presentation at some Jewish organization, and the theme was Women Who Dare to Survive. And I really dedicated my speech to all the women who survived, who dared to survive the Holocaust. But it's almost, and I think of this often
0: as well, when someone like you succeeds, we have the last laugh because people like you are superstars in the world of business from nothing you create a huge, successful, colorful, happy business. And to me, that's the best revenge,
1: is it not? Absolutely. And, you know, through color, I mean, through nail color, I can inspire women all over the world. And actually, in a bottle of OPI nail color, we can send so many messages of happiness If you look good, you feel good, you can be successful. People hold up their hands at Olympic Games. Revolution started with messages on their nails. I mean, who would have thought? And I, to be able to to do that for millions of women, oh my God, I've done something special.
0: Susie, everybody must run up to you on the street and say, (laughs) oh, I'm wearing... (laughs) Such and such a color, right? People always ask me, what color am I wearing? I don't
1: know. <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> I don't know. I've created thousands of these. <laughs> Tell me.
0: Well, some of these names are absolutely hilarious. I want to do a color association mm-hmm. name for all the OPI shades. And I want to know how these names came about. Little anecdotes here. I don't do dishes. It was uh,
1: for um, Maytag dishwasher. I did a promotion, two colors. And one, I thought every woman in America needs to put that in her kitchen that says I don't do dishes. And the other color in that was it was a pair was called Rinse Charming.
0: I love it. Rinse Charming. Yes, you always do groups of these names. Susie has a sweet tooth.
1: Because if you know me, you know, there's one thing I want to be is in an ice cream competition (laughs) because I love ice cream. And if I would, if I would just skip dessert, but even today after lunch, they said, how about some dessert? I said, sure.
0: Very cute. (laughs) I love, I love sweet. I had mentioned, because you talk about how you name some of these uh, collections after travel, Uh, Berlin there done that. You Mm
1: -hmm. also had Can't Find My... Czech book. c z e c h and that 's after write the Czech republic right right, and we did the middle Eastern European collection and Czechoslovakia was one of them. what
0: color was that
1: it was a blue because my check it came blue because my checks that I have at home are blue I love so, it you know there 's always some <laughs> personal association funny bunny oh funny bunny is kind of a white uh, it 's a soft shade, one of the soft shade colors and um I think somebody had a bunny that's white. <laughs> chick flick cherry. Our chick flick cherry came from uh, the Las Vegas collection. Princess's Rule. That one was made for me, I think. Yes. <laughs> that's a sparkly pink color that every young girl uh, loves to wear because we, girls rule. <laughs> Chopsticks and stones. Uh, uh, that was from uh, Hong Kong Collection. I
0: love that name. You're such a Budapest.
1: <laughs> that was from Budapest, Hungary, uh, from where I am, and um, beautiful city. So that was the inspiration for that. And finally, My Private Jet. Yes. <laughs> and that was this deep color that had different micas in it that kind of sparkled and um I guess when you're up in the sky, sometimes you see these beautiful uh, sparkles of uh, from the moon or your imagination.
0: Boy, you have a great imagination. <laughs> you take inspiration from all over the place. All over. But it's a very competitive landscape. I mean, the old days, it was Sally Hansen and Revlon. Now you have everything from NARS to Essie to all of these individual makeup companies that are saying, well, let me try nail polish as well. You obviously have a huge toehold in that, but you came up with the crackle concept. Uh, how how do you keep coming up with brand new ideas that keep reinventing nail polish?
1: It's not easy, as you mentioned. There are so many of these new indie brands that many of them start online, and it's really a different landscape today. You don't really need to do uh, brick and mortar; it's kind of easier. But what we do well with at OPI is we excite the consumer each and every time, each with each and every seasonal collection. We have amazing collaborations, whether it's your favorite movie, because I always thought of OPI Nail Lacquer as a lifestyle brand. And I wanted it when you're watching your favorite movie. For example, we teamed up with 007, James Bond. I'm a huge fan. And I remember talking with Barbara Broccoli and... She said, you know, I said, why why OPI? Why nail color? Because she said, you can deliver the female audience. And that was so important. So companies look to somebody like OPI because they wanted to capture the female audience. So whether you're watching your favorite movie, you're listening to your favorite artist like Gwen Stefani, Nicki Minaj, um, favorite uh, actress, Carrie uh, Washington was amazing, Teamed up with uh, Serena Williams on the Glam Slam collection. Cute. So there were amazing opportunities. I did a collaboration with Dell Computers, where they would uh, customize their laptop. So you could go online and choose f- from one of 28 of your favorite OPI shades, and then they would send you a laptop with that color. And on the side, this is the first time that Dell shared their logo was the o- name of the OPI color and the logo. And that was a two-year collaboration. Oh. It was amazing. Uh, I Possibilities are with, endless, really. Ford Mustang when they wanted to promote. And really women make the decision of what color car we get or what car we get. So again, at, you would go in and buy a Mustang and you could get a change.
0: I'm seeing a, I'm not really a waitress color choice. Have you talked to Tesla yet?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm full of ideas.
0: <laughs> I have to say that to me, your story is so inspirational because of this childhood that you had moving all over the place. You were an immigrant in multiple countries. What would you say today to... Americans, who, as we know, have some, in some cases, negative feelings about immigrants?
1: You know, the United States is made up of immigrants, (laughs) like myself. And uh, I think the one thing that's very important for immigrants is to assimilate. Yes, we can keep our traditions and our cultures, but I consider myself American. I was born in Hungary, but I'm I'm an American and I was welcome to this country. And that's why I want to welcome other people, other immigrants who want, because we bring such diversity, such, you know, from food to music to traditions. It's all such an amazing uh, melting pot that you have in the United States. Not to fear, but to welcome immigrants and uh, say, you know, welcome. This is your country. And you know we want you we want you to be part of us and to succeed and to make it better and not just for yourself but for your children and for your grandchildren and for generations to come
0: and I will end with this: How many jobs have you an immigrant created in this country?
1: Well, at the height, we had seven hundred people that we employed. And the best thing was to see is when we could take, you know, people from the factory that moved to the office. And not only that, is to see people who stayed at OPI, who bought homes, cars, send their kids to colleges. We would give scholarship to employees, children of employees who maintained the B average. We bought computers for them because they couldn't stay at libraries long enough to to be able to use computers So it was always about helping, like I said, respecting our employees and helping them to to have a better life. Susie, I
0: am speechless. I really am. I love your story. I hope our listeners have attached themselves to all that you were, all that you have become, and all that you represent, which is the best of America. Thank you so very much for joining us.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure. And again, if I can do it, anybody can.
0: Ah, we'll end on that. I love that. Susie Weiss-Fishman is the co-founder and creative visionary behind OPI Products. Yes, you know it is the nail polish company. Great to have you. And congratulations. Thank you so much. We're so happy that you listened to this story. I, I want these stories to actually change your life and the trajectory of your path to success and all that you aim for in life. I I hope that you feel the same way I do when you hear all of our guests and their stories on Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks so much for joining me. And as always, Monday through Friday, you can see me versus just hearing me, right? 3 p.m. Eastern on the Clayman Countdown. Thanks so much for tuning in to Everyone Talks to Liz.